I went to Martha's Vineyard uh, once with Peter Farrelly and the Farrelly brothers, and mm -hmm. I was talking about how Should I, we applaud after you mentioned that? No, as is tradition. save it. Save your applause oh, for it. Sure. I have okay. other things, movie credits and things I'll say later. <laughs> I was uh, talking to, to, to Peter, and I said, how I love John Belushi, you know, and uh, I know his grave is out there. And he goes, well, would you like me to bring you to his grave? I go, yeah, I would love it. And so uh, it was the middle of the night, and I was doing a movie with Drew Barrymore, Fever Pitch. Thank you. Uh, so he took Drew and he dropped me off with a six pack of beer at Belushi's grave in, in the middle of the night and left me hmm. in the graveyard for about a good hour. <laughs> it was pitch what? black. I mean, there's no light in Martha's Vineyard. Now, now, welcome. Th now hey. we have something here. <laughs> well, you look That's a podcast. Yeah, yeah, I'm with Shantz. Yeah. <laughs> That's the wardrobe for audio. We're, uh, we're mourning John Belushi. Jimmy just found out he died. Yeah. Mm. What? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Is Jim okay, though? Jim's fine. Is Jim Belushi Jim's okay? Jim's out there Thank slapping. God. Oh, just slapping people at random? Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> so, so Jimmy, did you, uh, what was the insight of spending an hour in the graveyard? I, I, I said what I wanted to say to him and that I loved him. And, uh, you know, I kind of got that out of the way about five minutes into it. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of got just scared. And I didn't really have a phone. I didn't know what the plan was when anyone was going to come back and get me. So I just kind of, I kind of finished off a six pack mm -hmm. and just waited. And then Peter Farrelly picked me up. This has all the earmarks of a prank. Yeah. <laughs> the six pack might have been the issue there. Maybe Jimmy, it wasn't even at like... Belushi's grave. That's right. How would you know? And what exactly. would you care? <laughs> Hey, Mike, are we rolling on this? Because, I mean, we, this is the magic. You don't need a formal introduction to the show, do we? And I actually wanted to ask Dave about John Belushi because David Letterman is here with us. Mm -hmm. Thank um, you. Ladies and gentlemen, who are listening Thank you. to the podcast. We are very fortunate because I really, and I have to say, and I know, Dave, you hate this kind of stuff, but mm -hmm. I don't know that any of us would be doing our jobs were it not for you. And You're I know kind. I wouldn't. For sure, I, I'd be. I, I, I think that's uh, very kind. I think it's misguided, but I think it's very kind. And uh, uh, now I would like to say a couple of things. One, okay. I invited myself onto this production, and the people, uh, I don't know if it was a consensus, but here I am. So thank you for that. And secondarily, how does this, how does this work? Are we all in, or is this a bit of a scam? Is there a cut? You got what is going on exactly? I don't All need to look true. at the books, but I'm just curious. <laughs> Everybody's getting their beak wet here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry. No, no. All the money is going to, to our beak crew. Wet. Well, <laughs> there's hey, come on. There's, a little, there's VIG here, baby. Yeah. yeah. You'll get a taste of the VIG. No, everything here is going to our staff and, and crew who are out of work. Okay, well. maybe. Right, Jimmy. That's where the money's going, Jimmy. To the staff. Yeah. And what can I ask uh, specifically numbers here? What are we... What is, as the kids say, along with sure. getting our beaks wet, what is the nut? You're, co you're coming in less as a guest and more as an auditor here, Dave. I'm guessing that was your intention. I'm just, I'm just curious. Can we see some ID? Yeah. Can we, we would like a lawyer present before because we Has the IRS got to you too, Letterman? No, I just was under the impression early that this would be free. Let's just say we're doing okay, Dave. And where, from where does this money come from? Are we taking pledges? Mostly Ryan Reynolds, yeah. yeah. 
primarily Ryan Reynolds and the fine sponsors Whoa. of Diageo liquor products. Yeah. Today, Kettle One is our sponsor and Mint Mobile. Whoa. Those are our sponsors today. Yeah. A, this is fantastic. Congratulations. We can get a lot of money. Service. And Ryan Reynolds says he doesn't miss it even a little bit. <laughs> Dave, John Belushi, was he? I don't remember him ever being a guest on your show. No, he, interestingly enough, perhaps only interesting to me, uh, early on in the 6A version of the show, he, he passed away, and we get a call almost immediately from the, the people at Nightline, I think Ted Koppel running that show at the time, wanting me to talk about John Belushi, and it just seemed silly because I had never met the man. And so I, I demurred, I passed on that. Did, did anybody here work with the man? No, I never met yeah. him. I never met him. Never, never worked with him. He, he was kind of frightening in his, in his energy and and what I had read of him. He was, kind of atomic and and electric and always charged and lovable. I was at Second City for you know for many years, and the people who had been there when he was there said you just couldn't look at anybody else on stage mm-hmm. when he was there. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Farley was that way. Yeah. Well, they you really they, only wanted you only wanted to watch him when he was on stage. Well, they certainly seemed to be uh, from the same mold. Did you hang with any of the SNL staff in the NBC show? You talking to me? Yes, Dave. Oh, no. <laughs> We're only talking to you today, Dave. You've heard the word hang and he was out. <laughs> All no. questions are for you. I hope you hydrated. Were you doing an impression of Robert De Niro? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's pretty good. Uh, no, I didn't. I was, no, I don't, I don't. This is the most group of people with commonality I've spent time with in my life. It's interesting, though, because didn't like a couple writers went back and forth, like Jim Downey? Jim Downey, yes. The, uh, the Lorne Michaels decided he wasn't going to be a part of SNL. And so he left, and with him, many of his writers, chief among them Jim Downey, who was, I think we all know him and have had experiences with him, and, and one of the funniest people one comes across. And he, he came and, and helped out with our show for a while. And that, that was a great experience. We've been asking each other certain questions that only uh, hosts of one of these shows would you know even really probably care to hear the answer about. So I don't know if anybody's going to listen. But I, we asked this question of John Stewart when he's here too. Can you describe to us what your very first show was like? And I'm sorry to grab the mic here, Kemmel, because I know no, you're no, hosting go today. Ahead. But no. can you describe to us what your very first show was like? And you can do daytime or or late night. Okay. Uh, first of all, so you take turns being the host of this. We yes. do, yeah. So I could have waited for another day and not had Kimmel. <laughs> <laughs> I did, you I can did. pull the ripcord right now, <laughs> yeah. Dave. You're only five minutes the, in. The bar gets it's, lower, it, though, Dave. The bar it's gets essentially Russian roulette with every chamber full of a bullet, so it doesn't, <laughs> and, and it's and, not really and John, John Stewart was a guest on this? Yep. A couple shows ago, Oh, yeah. for heaven's yeah. sakes. Now, did you invite him, or did he invite himself? He, uh, he kind of invited himself, too. Oh, okay. He's like, hey, you guys ever need to... Uh, yeah, well, that was me, yeah. for sure. John is part of our... Uh, this started just... We are talking about our issues that we're dealing with when it comes to the strike and John would join us from time to time. Mm. And so in a way he is like um, the Billy Preston of this group. (laughs) Oh my, what an apt comparison. Good heavens, (laughs) of course. If you had to compare John Stewart to anyone. Dave, 
Billy I watched Preston. your first show. I watched the morning show. The morning show. Well, that's the one that I, I would want to talk about because yeah. uh, the, the pain is still searing. <laughs> the producer of that show, we were to go on the air Monday, and it was going to be an hour and a half live on NBC Daytime. And the producer of the show quit on Friday. So we were rudderless going into the first show. And uh, one of the things, we had a gentleman who I, I can't recall, who was a, a television critic for ABC and a, and a nice, smart fellow. I just can't remember his name. So he was in the uh, green room reviewing the show as it uh, unfolded. <clears throat> and, and good Lord, I wish it had unfolded. It, it just never really <laughs> did unfold. At the end of the 90 minutes, it was still folded. <laughs> and uh, he, he was nice enough to come on to the show and, well, that was, that was 90 minutes, you know, sort of like that. Yeah. And it was horrifying. Uh, the, only, the only good thing about it, I recall, was we were done by 10.30 or whenever we were done, and I had the rest of the day free. That's the only good thing I remember about it. Do you remember how you started that first show? No. It was a wash of anxiety, honestly. You were in the studio audience. We did not see you on stage. You were talking to people, and you told one of the guys in the audience you hadn't eaten anything for breakfast, and you sent him out to get food. Uh, <laughs> you sent him genius. on a, a breakfast run. <laughs> Just genius. I, I do well, remember two things about it. We had a, a fellow who was a writer, who was a stand-up comic and a writer. He was up on the, there There used to be, and I think still is at 30 Rock, a courtyard about eight floors up, and shot from a certain angle, it looks like you're peering out into the great horizon of New York City and a direct fall down to the street of about eight floors. And so he was on that ledge, uh, safely on the ledge, but the appearance was if he made a move, he was gonna be falling to his death. So we were looking for him, the premise, where is Larry? His name, by the way, is not Larry. I, I don't remember his name. And, and I'm sorry, it's just because I don't remember anything. So anyway, oh, there he is. He's up there taking a nap. But Larry, it's time to come back down. So we have disturbed Larry from his nap. He rolls over and plunges to his death. That was, that was the visual impression. And the people from NBC, Barbara Gallagher, that name I remember, comes running out and says, no, you can't, you can't let people think that this man has plunged to his death. You have to have him back in the studio. And we thought, oh, okay, okay. So at the end of the show, there was Larry sitting in the front row, not dead. I, I remember that. And then a few weeks later, my girlfriend Meryl and I were having lunch in Connecticut in Mystic Seaport. And there was a big six-page story in the New York Times how we had destroyed NBC's daytime lineup. And that's kind of what the experience was like every day there. Whose idea was the morning show? Like, to do for you to do a morning show, was that you? Or did someone say, hey, how about a morning show? Uh, yeah, someone said, hey, how about a morning show? And that was Fred Silverman. And Fred Silverman thought that we would get together and have a morning show and with a family there are morning shows like that, like the, the View comes to mind, there's a family of people. ESPN has two or three of these morning shows with a family of people. And we were to have a morning show and it was sort of like, Fred thought it might be something like the old Arthur Godfrey programs back in the 50s, pardon me for that. And family of people to me was a whole, whole different concept. And it turned out I was wrong. Well. 
On The View, very few people plunge to their death. That's the one. Sadly. Yes, yes on, on camera, very few people plunge to their death. Yeah. Dave, why did your producer quit on the Friday? Did you disagree about the direction of the morning show? Yes. We, yes, uh, we, th- we wanted it to be entertaining, and uh, he was not fond of that concept. He, he, was, he was a very uh, successful producer in the game show world, and he and I kind of had a friendship, and I can remember we we wanted to have uh, like a, a a monitor with cue cards on it or whatever those things are or cue cards, and he didn't want to spend the money, so he had a, one of his sons write everything up on uh, construction cardboard, whatever those are, and he just had had it uh, Friday before the show and left. And, and it was it was an acrimonious departure. I'm imagining this son being like eight years old. Was he at least an adult? No, no. The, he, he had adult kids who were all oh. very nice, and, and everything was fine with the kids. The old man just didn't want to be dragged down by, by this. It was clearly a mistake uh, on his part and a mistake on my part. And we, we proved that right up until the time it was too late to do anything about it. And I have no hard feelings about it. The whole thing was ill-conceived, uh, perhaps not ill-conceived, but certainly poorly executed. And it's, it's just one of those memories of, oh, yeah, I do everything the hard way. <laughs> did you think it was all over career-wise? Yes. Yes, I absolutely did. Because, and, and I had the evidence to support that. <laughs> A six-page story in the New York Times how I had ruined a television network. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. You are going to the end of the line. Yeah, that's a career of It doesn't go on the resume. In an almost impressively short amount of time, he's destroyed daytime. Yeah, I I Uh, thought, yeah, they did. They just uh, eviscerated the network. And uh, the the affiliates were wanting that time back to themselves, and, and they all got it, and we gutted their daytime juggernaut, which had been three successful game shows, three half-hour shows, gone, good night. Yeah, I thought it was over, and I went into a, a, yeah, it was a terrible, terrible year, thinking, well, here I am back at the Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa. That's, yeah, that's good. How long between how long between the ending of the morning and then starting late night? We were on the air in the morning, I don't know, six weeks. And, you know, similar to the run of Gunsmoke. Uh, and, and then I think I came back a, a year and a half later. But it was horrifying. I was uh, timid and embarrassed and embarrassed. miserable and uh, d- nearly drank myself to death and, you know, like well, that. Well, there had to be somebody at NBC who was advocating for you to, like, bring you back after you almost destroyed the network. Who was your champion? Yes, it was Brandon, Brandon Tartikoff. Brandon Tartikoff was a true gentleman in, uh, and recognized that it had been a misplacement in time. But it, I think it was all my fault because I could have played along with Fred Silverman's vision of it, but I just thought, well, that's... I don't know how many of you guys felt this way about yourselves early on. I was under the impression that America couldn't wait to have me on television. And I thought, <laughs> ah, I'm going to take care of this. You know how TV stinks? Well, wait till I get there. And, and it turned out, once no, Daddy was wrong. <laughs> one of the other questions, that, one of the other things we've been talking about is, what is the first talk show that you were a guest on? Uh, I think that would have been a Canadian affair. I think that would have been, 
I, it, uh, there was a show in Vancouver, uh, Bruno Gerusi's Celebrity Chefs. Wow. <laughs> and then there was, I think, Alan Thicke. Was that only broadcast in Newfoundland? <laughs> what? I, who is Bruno Gerusi? And are you a celebrity chef? And we just didn't know it. That's right. Yeah, yes to everything, Your Honor. Yeah, so, and, and, and almost every show I did, the Alan Thicke show in Toronto or Montreal or wherever it was, every time I was booked on one of these shows, and it was really great for comics in Los Angeles because it had, uh, everything was the same about an appearance on a talk show except there was no one watching. So it was ideal, and they would fly you up and put you in the Four Seasons, and you got to spend uh, 36 hours in a, a, a very nice Canadian city, and you just go up there and bomb, and no one cared. But uh, <laughs> Bruno Gerusi, celebrity chefs, Bruno was not there. Alan Thicke was not there. Somebody else was there, and there was another show that I did. Those are the first shows. Everybody, everybody did them. Myself and Robin Williams and Jay Leno, and everybody did them, and it was just great. It was like instructional league baseball. Did you all get together and talk about it and go, how did you bomb on Bruno? Yes, yes. But I do remember what I cooked, which had to have been your next question. That's right. Yes. Fettuccino Alfredo. Thank you. We'll be right back. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, wow. 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 We're going to have that recipe uh, on the website at the end of today's podcast. Well, you're silly if you don't. With a list of ingredients from Instagram. Those were all stand-up spots right dave when was the first time you were a panel guest where you were i don't think i ever did panel and uh, no stand up on bruno gerusi's celebrity chefs i don't remember who was hosting but then there was a show oh, oh uh david uh, steinberg steinbeck mm-hmm. steinberg was the host in, in toronto and i did stand up there and it was silent it was quiet and then the the best part of it to cement the ignominy Everybody got together in the host's suite back at the Four Seasons to mingle after the show. And oh my God, was that terrifying. Just horrible. Oh, you're the one with leprosy. Sure, come on in. We want to talk to you. Did you guys get together and watch your appearances on Carson, etc.? No, we, we left that to Jay. Uh, Jay. Jay would gather everybody to watch. And then he would he would he would get the the spin on that shot out as quickly as he could. How many times did you appear on uh, Carson or anything before you even felt a little famous? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, but not a good question. It's just something to, that gives me time for an answer. So that's why I said it. <laughs> yeah, it was a softball. It's, it's a B minus question. Those are the best questions. He lowers Mike at the beginning uh, of his yeah. answers. Jimmy is known for his clock gobblers. <laughs> Lower his mic and then raise it up when he starts saying so. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I do know this. Once I was on the Tonight Show, good or bad, I can remember being on the Tonight Show and then had to, having to fly to New York for something. And I was in the elevator coming down in the hotel to go out and do something early in the morning, perhaps breakfast. And a guy gets on the elevator with me, and he looks at me and he says. I saw you last night. Were you as nervous as you seemed? <laughs> and of course, you can't yeah. defend that, so you you have to roll over. Yes, I'm yeah. nervous now. It, almost immediately after the Tonight Show, people, right up until today, were nicer to me than they had been to me before I was on television in, in uh, on a on a network television show. And I, I don't know. Did you gentlemen experience that once? 
you you became kind of known that you were part of America's woodwork were people automatically well, more gracious I mean, for us it was you being on your show oh please was, the, was no was. it was the mild you have to know that you're such a milestone for anybody who were on your show and everybody noticed like the first time I ever got you know calls from you know, old friends, they'd see me on your show. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I I remember when I told my parents I was doing your show the first time, my dad said, no, no Bruno Gerussi, though. And that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Loser. <laughs> I remember the first time, well, almost doing your show, I got bumped because you made Roseanne tell a story she already told like 11 times on your show and I remember <laughs> being in the green room at the end of the night and hearing Alan Calter re-record the intros for the uh, show without my name in them. I'm so sorry. You know, I, I don't know how you gentlemen feel about it, but there is an energy that takes over that subsumes any sort of emotional humanity when you have to turn out a show every stinking night and there is collateral damage, and I would just like to say to everyone, I'm so sorry, uh, Jimmy, you represent a pretty long history of offending <laughs> behavior. I was relieved, I was fine with being bumped. Everyone around me was upset, but I was like, oh my God, thank God. I can another <laughs> six months to think about this. I, I can remember when we were in 6A, and, and by the way, 6A, those studios now, like a, Four Seasons hotels. They're just beautiful. They're gift shops. There's restrooms. <laughs> not rest. <laughs> yeah, they put it. What did they have? No restrooms. Had a bucket. No, we. <laughs> you had to take care of that on the street before you came up. But uh, so anyway, we had the red hot chili peppers on, and this is I don't know when in the early '80s, and uh, for one reason or another, they got bumped, and and the reason, of course, would be me. And they, because they were rock and roll at its finest, they decided that they would uh, wreck the uh, dressing room. Well, if you were in the dressing rooms in those days, there was nothing in there to wreck. There was <laughs> a, looked wrecked. A, a, a chair and a, and a kind of a love seat covered in vinyl, and that was it. But they went busy and, and turned over that chair and kicked the vinyl love seat. Boy, did they show me. <laughs> so, Dave, yeah. you were obviously, Johnny Carson was very influential on you personally and then very helpful when it came to your career. How did it happen? Like, when you were on Johnny and you did well, obviously, does Johnny then call you after the show? How do you form a relationship with Johnny Carson? Right. This is a, another <laughs> good question. Um, <laughs> and everybody here worked with Mr. Carson or not? Did, would, was nope. he, yeah. Had he no. come and gone? No. He had come and gone before you guys were around? Pretty much before we all broke. I did have a, a relationship with Johnny Carson because of Peter LaSalle, who was one of his producers. And Peter LaSalle befriended a lot of people on that show, Gary Shandling and myself and Martin Mull and anybody else wow. who was regularly on the show that uh, he took a liking to. And that was very useful. And through Peter LaSalle, my girlfriend and I at the time went to dinner with the Carson and his wife and Peter and his wife, Alice. And it, that, that was the, the kind of the off-stage, uh, off-camera relationship that we got. And it was all, all due to Peter. But let, let, I'm going to hear something about you guys. Seth, I was on your show 
a long time ago and and thought that was just great fun. And I, I was wondering, was that all right for you? You know, we, we had to go back and do some trims. Uh, no, it was exceptional. <laughs> it was exceptional, and it was very special. It was the 40th anniversary of the franchise. We had you on yeah. for that. Yeah, I thought that was very kind of you to include me in that. It was lovely, and you know, we do a Q&A at the end of the show, and you were kind enough to stay for the Q&A. Well, was I supposed to be a part of the Q&A, or did I just invite myself? We did invite you. Okay. Okay. We did it. It was very different. It was different than this podcast, where, again, we can't be clear enough that you invited yourself on the podcast, but Uh, I did invite you you know, I feel awful now knowing that uh, What's-His-Name has invited himself in, and uh, Jon Stewart (laughs) been a a mainstay. But, but you were all on, uh, we've all been on shows together, right? Yeah. Yes, we've all, no, we've all been, on, been your on your show. Yeah, that's what yes. I mean. You've been on our, my show. Yeah. And oh, you're the only, and I've not been on John's show. No, we don't, we don't have guests. Yeah. <laughs> I've had yeah. Edward Snowden, yeah. the Dalai Lama, and that's it. I think. Yeah. Ed Snowden. I, I, Jay, Dave, I'd love to have you on uh, The Late Show. Would, would be would going back to the Ed Sullivan be a fun thing for you or just a weird thing? Well, now it would be okay. I uh, I will. Uh, do, does anybody really want to hear this or not? Yeah, hundred percent. No thanks. Whatever this is. <laughs> wow. Just take your you headphones really off. Have a genuine spit take. Take your headphones off. almost an actual spit take. But I love Fallon, the only one with the guts to speak the truth. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. No problem. Uh, no, the story I'd was to hear. when when we moved to the Ed Sullivan Theater, we had to go shopping for places to do the show, and uh, there was uh, like six or seven in the running. Hal Gurney took a liking to the Ed Sullivan Theater, which in those days was called something else, but it was still the Ed Sullivan Theater, and it was full of rubble. It had decayed and destroyed in and of itself, and literally the the cement concrete dust in the air would you'd get emphysema just knowing somebody who had been in there. Kathleen Anchors and uh, Hal Gurney went in there and thought, no, no, we let's let's put this theater back together. So it went from an active hard hat construction site to what became the home of our show for X number of years. And it was because of that connection and because of the time that I spent in, in that building that I always felt like I, can't, I, can't, I don't think I can go back in there. Similar to the way one might feel about returning to high school, although, of course, I never went to high school. But I just had an emotional kind of anti-energy about, about the place. But I'm, the good news is I'm over that. <laughs> oh, good. What was that, Jimmy? Was that all right? Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. I like the high school thing. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) You came to NBC once. I remember we had Paul Schaefer on the show. He was nice enough to be a guest. And you came and you go, Jimmy, you were backstage. You go, we didn't have any of this. You 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 were saying what you were saying earlier, but you had a line that made me laugh. You go, I mean, seriously, this, we had none of this. He goes, I'm jealous of your linoleum. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, our setup was like a state park restroom, you know, compared to what it is now to now it's crazy. Yeah, and I think Lauren was there too, and, and yes. you were going with Lauren, and you were going. Is that how it looks on the when it goes broadcast? Does it look that good on the on yeah. the monitor? Is that what it looks like? And he was like, Yeah. <laughs> Do you enjoy being a guest on a show? No, Dave? it's a, it's it a lot of must- work. It's a lot of work, and if you don't do well, you eat your, I do, I eat my liver for about a month. Now here, the stakes are so low, what do I care? 
<laughs> I mean, the staff is getting their millions. That's all I care about. And that might be a good segue because we do have commercial from our friend Ryan Reynolds and uh, our this friends guy. at Mint Mobile, and I yeah. thought Dave might want to hear that. Okay, roll it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds, owner of Mint Mobile and host of the first ever podcast within a podcast that I'm calling Save Force 15. There'll be no guests, no news, no thrilling crime to revisit, just me and 14 of my colleagues at Mint Mobile talking about making unlimited premium wireless available for $15 a month for a limited time. Now, I know what you're thinking, how can unlimited wireless for just $15 a month be good? And how can there be two podcasts so similarly devoid of any entertainment value? Well, well, there can't be. I've just received a message telling me that Save Force 15 has been canceled, but that message came through loud and clear on my Mint Mobile phone for the amazingly low price of just $15 a month. You want to learn more? Go to mintmobile.com slash strikeforce today. Mm-hmm. Oh, that one's not for me? No, that's for the five host tiers. <laughs> I think we all know what that's about. $45 upfront required plus taxes and fees. Three-month promo rate renews at full price. Limited time for new customers only. Data speeds reduce after 40 gigabytes per month for unlimited. Video streams at 480p. Visit mintmobile.com. There you go. Husketeers. There you what, go. What is he? I don't, I don't know what Mint Mobile is. Does anybody really understand what this guy is up to? <laughs> this is exactly the kind of ad placement they're looking for, Dave. This is, you've always been good at this. You've always been really good at honoring the sponsor and the network you're working for. I mean, this sounds like a scam. Is that a money laundering scheme? Yeah. That would make more but sense. It, I, I happen to see, you know, he bought the soccer team in Wales, and yeah. that turned into like a, a huge deal. And I just, I mean, he, he, has, he has enough money, doesn't he? He he's, owns a he gin company and he owns a soccer team and he owns yeah. the mint company and he's Deadpool and that's enough. Well, it, it's, he's getting ready for an enormous crash. That will come and he has to know it. And I think that's I, where the I kind of lashing be happier out comes to from. Hear this. I think it starts sponsoring us. Yeah. Dave, can I talk to you about how cold your studio was? Mm-hmm. Because was it that cold at 30 Rock? Or is that something you did specifically for the Ed Sullivan? Because it's legendary. We've right. all talked about it. I personally approve of it. We Thank don't you. keep it quite as cold as you yes. did. But I love, I call it comedy weather. Yes. Because uh, if they're chattering their teeth, it's That's really right. close to laughter already. Well, You're just tipping them. You, it, 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 you represent a certain genius here. You have asked and answered your own question. Thank you very much. You're exactly right. Absolutely. And that's how you host a show, gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, and and by the way, let's let's talk about uh, guests now, where one has to do all the talking. Anybody? Oh, yeah. Oh, Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's probably the most reticent guest. Perfectly lovely. You know, he just—it's just not his bag. That's yeah. yeah. Although nowadays, you just say the word Trump, and he goes bananas. He will talk through the whole mm-hmm. thing. It's true, mm-hmm. but you have to bleep most of it. But has <laughs> is he a regular guest for everybody here, except for Mr. Oliver? He was my first. Yeah, he was my first ever guest. Late night, he was nice enough to do it. He had no, nothing to promote. I couldn't book the show, to be honest. And so, because I was following Conan, and no one knew if the show was going to work or not. So. I had to call in every favor I could I could get, and I figured he was a list in New York, and he did me a solid. He was great. Oh, he came brother. on. Yeah. You, you know how poisonous this sounds. <laughs> that he was the only one in New York that would do you a favor was Donald <laughs> Trump. Ouch. No, De Niro. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Not I thought Trump, we were Trump. talking about Trump. Oh, oh I skipped over that. Uh, 
Oh, no, so De Niro is a pretty good favor. My apologies. I'm so sorry no for not paying attention. <laughs> Trump has done, done us favors by coming on as well. Just yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> not the same. Didn't work out as much. There, there's a special there's a special feeling that descends on you when you have like whatever your five or six questions you, which you may or may not hit you know at once you start with the guests you may need them you may not and then you realize not only do you need them mm -hmm. but you will be done with these five yeah. questions yeah. in the first 45 seconds yeah. yeah and then it's just a staring contest and at a certain level that's invigorating because you realize it's it 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 could be a disaster, and that's a that's kind of an exciting place to be. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I was always surprised at the high percentage of people who who somehow were able to reduce their heartbeat to almost undetectable and then have a seat getting ready to talk about their trip from California. It, it I just thought how isn't there some sort of minimal test a person has to pass to get into show business? <laughs> the worst is when they go, um, no, I don't want to do a pre-interview. We'll yeah. just wing it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, just wing it. I, yeah. It's like, okay, oh, we're yeah. going to just wing I'm it. I'm a great guest. I'm a great That's guest. Right. Yeah. I don't need a pre-interview. What we used to get all the time was, Dave can ask me anything. <laughs> and so you do that, and then you get the nasty call from the publicist. Yeah. 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 Does everyone have a go-to story? Like if you're at a dinner party, or if you're at somewhere that you go like, well, I guess I could do this story about blah blah blah. Hmm. That's a, yeah. That's that happens all the time. Although I've never been to a dinner party, but thank you. Um, <laughs> do you think people, people don't ask you because they expect you'll say no? No, I. They just they, they don't want me in their house. But uh, <laughs> the uh, the question I get is, who is your favorite guest? Yeah. And yes. I just don't, I don't have, do, do you guys have a good answer for that question? I, I don't like any of them. 15 answers. <laughs> how, can you, how can you answer, you know, it's so. I think the person we probably brought up most frequently on this podcast is Charles Barkley, though. Yeah. Yeah. He's yes. an amazing, because he has no filter. Yeah. He just, yeah, there yeah. is no, like, like you're saying. Well, you, can't, you can't really pick a, a favorite, though, because there's so many moments of things that people have done, comedians and everybody, the list is crazy. Yeah. I just want to say the relief I'm feeling right now. I was so close to saying, Dave, who is your favorite guest? Ah, and I just, <laughs> there you go. The bullet that I've dodged. Some of my favorite guests from your show, Dave, and these are not particularly famous people, but there was a performance artist named Brother Theodore, who you mm. were always just mm -hmm. fantastic sure. with, yeah. who was, uh, seemed to be off his rocker. Was, yeah. was, that an, was that a bit or was he actually crazy? I think that was an act. He, he was... Uh, and what I know of him, thank you for that, uh, was that he, he was sort of a fixture of, a, of a, a, a holdover era in Greenwich Village when that was hipster central and, and poets and uh, you know, folk singers and Brother Theodore would be the comic relief. And the idea was he was wacky. And the other thing was he was the illegitimate son of uh, Albert Einstein. Uh, and he was great. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know that one could use a guy like that these days. He would threaten the audience. He would threaten <laughs> you. He had a thick German accent. Did he have a German accent? He seemed to have. There? Whether it was fake or not, I never had the courage to inquire. Harvey Pekar was another Harvey one of them. Harvey Pekar. Oh, yeah. oh, my oh, yeah. goodness, was he good. And I couldn't keep up with Harvey because... What was, he, what was that? What was Harvey Pekar? He, he was uh, the, the author yeah. of this comic strip called The American Dream. And it was anything antithetical to the American dream. He was a contrarian and, and I think probably a communist. 
which was just great. And, and he would be good, uh, and then he would get ugly. And we wanted kind of the big-time wrestling version of Harvey, n- not the, the ugly part of Harvey where all of us fat cat American pigs needed to die. That takes the fun <laughs> right out of it. Yeah. Uh, don't open with that. <laughs> but, but Harvey was just delightful. I mean, that was really to sit back and here we go. Speaking of delightful, Terry Garr was one of the great guests you'd have on the show, and there was a flirtation between the two of you, and she was on a lot of times. It was something you look forward to. Yes, she was very good to us. She, she helped us kind of uh, establish a legitimacy, and she and, and our producer at the time, Robert Morton, became, I think, pals. And she and others always said that her frequent appearances on our show hurt her film career, and I, I felt bad about that for her because she was, you know, she was very good, uh, very nice, and, and, and her film work also was great. And Because she was too uh, available? There was, yes, there was yes too accessible to uh, I- idiot behavior. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. When do, do you think you took the step, Dave, from idiotic behavior to a role model? Or someone people looked up to, or someone important, or someone that we looked to to to, uh, to explain on. it all I'm to us. Transcribe this question for Dave. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to need some. Uh, the, the thing a little about backstory on the question, Dave, is that he's it's almost like a, an episode of Chops, but with the English language. He will give you a selection of words, throw them in front of you, and ask you to assemble a question from those words. <laughs> I thought that was a wait, great wait question. Wait, do you hear the I mean, answer, I'd love, though. To hear, I'd love to hear the answer. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I'm going to need to uh, just try it again. Okay. W- when do you think you went from uh, uh, being like silly host to kind of more serious host in question and become kind of a- an important? Hmm. I don't hmm. know. I mean, you, you, you guys can answer any of these questions uh, from your own experience as well as I might. It, it seems to me like there's a certain inertia that one can't keep up with and what results is is change in the perception of what you're doing. I, I still, and I'm saying this, just uh, still trying to make uh, sense of the question. That's the best answer we've got this whole podcast, by the way. <laughs> I got a We're going, this is going in the promo. <laughs> promo, really? Now, that's the other thing. Do people oh, yeah. actually watch this? No. They listen to it. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, I feel right at home. Dave, can I ask you about one of your favorite, if you had a favorite Larry Bud Melman moment? Because uh-huh. for me, it was sort of a somewhat failed Larry Bud Melman game. But I loved, and me and my friends, because I, I started college in 1982, which was your first year. I was sort of first generation obsessed with, with, with your show. People would leave parties to go home to watch mm. it at 1230. And... When you had Larry travel the Pan American Highway, I thought it was the most wonderful thing. Every night you would check in, he'd be further south. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he made it south of Mexico. And he brought they, you brought a fax machine, one of the old kind, where you put the phone in the cradle. Yep. And he was begging you to come home. Yes. 
and it became apparent that it wasn't a bit <laughs> right and that the picture he was sending back was coming in line at a line <laughs> line by line and it was it was painting just one line at a time just painting sadness on the screen yes. and the, and the audience is going oh yeah. but it was still wonderful to me and it, i'm, I'm yeah, curious if you have a it was, a, a brilliant memory well, of that you're, time. you're kind to remember this positively if in fact that's what i'm getting but Yes. The idea was he was going to go to uh, to the tip of South America, the, and I can't remember the Tierra del Fuego. Tierra del Fuego, yes. And so they were in some sort of a, a mid-level camper that they were going to drive from uh, Thirty Rock all the way down to Tierra del Fuego. And when you look at Larry Bud Melman, you think camper. That's right. And yeah. when you think road trip, Tierra del Fuego. Let's go. <laughs> And so we, on the outside of the, the, the camper, we had f- painted a big plywood sign, Tierra del Fuego or bust. And so we sent them off and well wishes and, you know, Godspeed and we'll see it at the end of the world. And after the show, we get a call from the guy who was accompanying Larry, Dave, again, the name, uh, it was with us forever. And of course, I can't remember his name. He said, yeah, we got a problem. We were on the uh, New Jersey Turnpike and the big six by 10 plywood sign blew off in traffic. (laughs) So, you know, okay, so the next call (laughs) will be from the state police to give us the death toll of the sign mishap on our fun trip to Tierra del Fuego. And then we, we started, we would contact the State Department and they would give us warnings about what part of Central America, you should avoid at all cost, and you know we didn't share. And you can't avoid some of these countries; they go from coast <laughs> to coast. That's right. And this is like when the Contras and the Sandinistas and death squads. You're exactly right. <laughs> we we kind of kept that from Larry, and and when he was getting ready to leave Mexico, and journey into the great unknown. I remember that night specifically because I thought the man he was begging me to come home. Please, will you let me come home? And then on national television, that's right, not like that's right. Uh, and yes. I, and I, I had two choices. One, I could just be a complete putz and say, "Larry, you signed a deal. You're going to Tierra del Fuego. Gosh darn it!" Or I could say, "No, come on home." And I, and I think it was inevitable that he got to come home. But the the other thing, the primitive technology. That's what we were hanging the whole bit on was. Maybe you'll see a video, maybe you won't. But, you know, one of those ideas, a better idea in theory than in execution. Well, if you had told me, you know, you were going through Nicaragua, I have got contacts down there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because Tell them. my mom dated Anastasio Somoza. And if go back and listen to episode one of the podcast. It explains the whole thing. Whoa. They have yep. his pants. <laughs> they have whose oh. pants? Anastasio Somoza's pants. They're in the next room. Hold on. Those are worldwide pants, by the way. This does sound like a Letterman bit from 1984. Things have taken a a hard right turn here. We're looking at somebody's pants. Before Stephen comes back, his mother had an affair with Somoza. Is is that why you lowered your voice? Yes, here he's back. Okay, here he's he's back now. Oh, hey, Stephen. Hi, let's see those pants. Anastasio Somoza went to LaSalle Military Academy with my uncle. Mm -hmm. And then... He left these, and he'd stay with my family when they were on vacation, and he went on some dates with my mom. 
He thought she was too skinny. The first thing he said to her on the first date was, you have been ill? <laughs> and, and, Jeez, and I wish I had a nickel the- for every time I heard that. <laughs> so it says, it's hard to read, but it says, a Somoza in the pants. I have Anastasia. I have the pants of a brutal dictator. Whoa. Well, I mean, yeah. we're a half an hour into this. Why now? Why wasn't this the headline? <laughs> Absolutely. We've asked that. Waiting yeah. for the right... I was waiting for the right time. Oh, well, I just feel sheepish. I'm sorry I wasted everybody's time with my little Larry Bud story. <laughs> what did you bring us, Dave? I, I can show you my pants. <laughs> uh, Dave, sure. I asked uh, you about this the last time we spoke, but since Stephen mentioned his mother, your mom was such a fantastic guest on your show. And a very Midwestern woman, is it safe to say that her success on your show did not go to her head? Oh, no, it went right to her head and uh, to her uh, husband's head. They had her out (laughs) signing. She published a cookbook, uh, and many of the recipes in the cookbook were lifted right out of the Betty Crocker cookbook. And (laughs) we we were always waiting to get the call. Um, (laughs) Yeah, she she loved it. She really loved it. And and as I, I... at this point in my life, I think about my relationship with my mother far more than I did when she was alive. And I don't know if that's common or if there's pathology there, but I, I reassure myself that that time in her life on our show was something nice I did for her because other than that, I'm not, I think I was a difficult child. Thank you. Let's go around the room and identify ourselves as being difficult children. Jimmy? <laughs> But did she understand what you did? Like, did your mom have, uh, like... No. Did she watch the show every night? No, she didn't watch the show, like most of America. (laughs) She, no, she watched when she was on. (laughs) Like this, I'll watch this because I'm on. Your mom, you had a Mother's Day top ten list once, and my mom, you were nice enough to invite my mom as one of the mothers to come out, and, and it was different celebrities' mothers saying a joke, and then at the end, you would give them all a rose. And I think my mom's joke, it was like Beyonce's mom, I'm trying to think of who else, Lance Armstrong's mom. Uh, wow. And <laughs> it was, a good, it was a, a eclectic list. And, uh, and so they went down the list. My mom was probably halfway through. And, and you went to everyone's mom and you go, thank you for being here. And you give them a rose. Thank you for being here. And you give them a rose. You get to my mom, you go, thank you for being here. And you give her a rose. And my mom goes, what? <laughs> and you go... Thank you for being here. And you gave her another rose. So by the time you got to your own mother, you were out of roses. To give. <laughs> your mom was, she had no, you had nothing to give your own mother. And it's because my mom said, thought she was special and thought you were saying an extra compliment to my mother. You're like, what? I'm a star. I should come back on the show co-host with you. I don't know what she thought you were saying, but I go, mom, why would you mess up the whole thing? I love this because this is the kind of thing that would happen minute to minute, night to night, week after week, month after month, year after year, putting on a nightly television program that is completely meaningless to anybody but the group of us here. I, I remember the, when right before I took over 11 o'clock at CBS, I asked if I could come by and just talk to you. And you said, sure. So it was about a week and a half before you left, and because I wanted to talk to you while you were still on the saddle. And, and you nicely met me outside of your office in a little room there. And 
And I asked you a bunch of questions. We 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 just jawed for a while, and then I asked you some questions about you know specific stuff about uh, where do you stand and how do you relate to the audi- the the audience on the balcony and uh, just stuff about the building. And I said, I'm sorry, am I asking you too many questions? Are you okay answering these questions? And you said, Stevens, no one's ever asked me any of these questions before. <laughs> and I said, really, no one's ever asked you? And you said, who would care to know the answer? <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Uh, to us, it's a pretty narrow corridor. Could you, in the next room, there's a pair of old work pants. If I say I have a pair of Hitler's pants, could you just... Turn his mic off. Turn his mic off. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh Where were we? Uh Can you just write Noriega in the back of them? It'll be fine. (laughs) Well, I want to hear something about... Now, how long, long, John, have you been on your show? Well, hold on. Before you do that, I've got a question that's not about you, Dave. So you might like that. One of the things that I loved... In your final, the hardest I laughed during your final show was when your son Harry brought his friend. Yeah, and he oh, wanted yeah. he wanted you to introduce Tommy Rabatla. Was his name? I'll never forget it because it's almost the perfect writer's room name for the friend of a child. Tommy Rabatla. Even mm-hmm. as an English person, I know that's perfect. And I, what I loved was not only how happy you were at being forced to do this. But yes. the fact he got such an ovation from the audience, and yes. Harry looked a little bit awkward being on camera. You seemed a little bit unsure. The most confident person in that room was Tommy Rabat. <laughs> he was just <laughs> lapping up that ovation. What is Tom, do you know what, what's Tommy Rabato doing now? I spent a week with Tommy and his family and my family in Greenland, and Tommy is a sophomore at Boston College. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's a very, uh, that's very sweet of you, John. Thank you. <laughs> He's a great kid, and and they've been family friends for, forever. You but, just look so. Uh, now, how so long have happy. you done your show? Ten, ten years. Ten years. And yep. Jimmy, you? I did late night for six years. I want to say, and I've done Tonight Show for almost six years. Wow. So twelve years, and yeah. uh, Mr. Jimmy, twenty. Twenty. Wow. And Seth. 10 in February. And Stephen, about 10 plus, right? Or actually, you count the... Uh, Nine and a half for the old show, yeah. eight for this one. Wow. So 17 and a half years. Wow. Like that. And how, how do we feel now? Still like it. Broken. <laughs> Broken. I feel like, you know, like, you know yeah. like one of those old horses where someone like kindly puts their hand around your neck and says, hey, come on, let's go have carrots. You think, I've not been in this barn before. That's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I, this is honest. Like, I think over the last three years, I kind of started to figure out how to interview people. Yeah. It, 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 it really just, during COVID made me interview people differently because... There was it was just over Zoom, so there's no audience or anything, and they would just come on the screen and we would just start talking. Mm-hmm. And I went, "That's actually way better." Yeah. Than 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 having there was no anxiety about it. I I'm a totally different interviewer in the last four years than I was for the first thirteen. Yeah, I I think that's uh, I I went through a period of that long long before COVID, but and as a result, I would just start talking to people and we'd be twenty minutes over every night. <laughs> you said to me that night I came to see you. I said, do you have any advice? And he said, yes, just keep talking. Let them figure it That's out. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And they said, if, if, if it took too long to get what you wanted to the interview, they should get you better guests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're darn right. Yeah. And where am I today? I think a year into my show, Paul Schaefer was backstage. And I remember he said, how's it going? And I said, it's great. I'm, I'm not bored at all. It's exciting every night. And he said, give it time. 
<laughs> I thought that was That's really right. sweet. That's right. My yeah. wife says, I, I don't know what else you would do. Like, this is this kind of saved me. Because she's like, I think this is a perfect job for you. You get to do, you get to talk to people. You get to do bits. You get to do sketches. You get to, wh- whatever idea you think of, weirdly, you get to see. You get to make. And yep. it's kind of uh, fascinating. Yeah. I saw when Paul and the band were on your show, I thought it was tremendous. I oh, just thanks. thought, wow, this, this kid's got a, a very nice show here. Ah, oh, it was great. I, I love that. It was great. Even just to de- hearing the theme again and stuff, it yeah. was pretty fun. Yeah, it, was it was electric in the, in the room. Oh, he was, and then it was there amazing. was a, some very involved musical presentation. And I was talking to Paul, and he said, yeah, you know, uh, it came time to rehearse, and they sent down a guy to rehearse with, and it wasn't Jimmy. And I said, so, so you never really rehearsed that song with Jimmy? And he said, no. And so when, when I'm watching the show, holy, it was seamless. It was like, oh, is this for the Tonys? It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think we had a fake dummy uh, prete- thrown down the audience pretending to be me crowd that surfing. Was, that was actually me. <laughs> oh, you were great. You look like a dummy. <laughs> now, Jimmy, does it hurt your feelings when the crew says, Jimmy's not available, get the fake dummy? You? <laughs> I'm used to it now. They get it. They do it more than they normally do. They, he works more than I do. One of the greatest things I've ever seen was at your Mark Twain Award presentation. Oh, please. Where you had your actual psychiatrist speak yes. about you. And yes. it was, I mean, it was, first of all, medically inappropriate. But secondly, <laughs> a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. Just the funniest goddamn thing I've ever seen. Well, I mean, I, was- you know, I wanted it to be really funny and I thought it would be really funny. And guess what? It wasn't that funny. It was, uh, no, it was funny. It it, those Mark Twain ones are pretty tough. They're tough crowds, I think. It was, oh, it my did, God. It the, was, the, the very it best one of those I've seen. Well, too, Bill Murray's was really good. And Dave Chappelle's was just that's what you want. That's really what you want, and he was fantastic. Tommy was at that Mark Twain Prize. Tommy was with you at that. I thing. know. It was just oh, what? And <laughs> so I that's can remember, fascinating to me. Well, I was just saying, that even at Mark Twain, you're judging what's working and what's not working. Oh, it was awful. They're honoring your whole career, and yet it your moment awful. to moment, this it was, was a bad idea. This but the, I didn't the thing like this. I remember is we're all uh, there was a half a dozen of us changing clothes in a public restroom after the show. <laughs> And it was Jimmy in his wow. boxer shorts or whatever, and me in my under. It was just. You want to well, know the real story of what happened there? Yeah. So you went into the bathroom to change, and I thought it would be funny to take off all my clothes and walk <laughs> into the bathroom. Okay. So I took off all my clothes, save for my underwear, and I walk into the bathroom, and Dave reacted as if I was fully dressed. He's like, hey, how are you doing? And then I wound up with you and Martin Short. Having yes. a long chat, I was in my underwear. That didn't bother you at all. And we thought we were waiting for Harry to come out of one of the stalls. Turns out Harry right. had already, he was with the rest of the family. Yeah. I think Harry had actually come in, seen everybody in their underpants, and decided, maybe this is not for me. Yeah, I'm at it. Does Harry hate a night where he's sitting with you while his yes. dad's being honored, or does he enjoy it? Well, any night at the dinner table. He is a show business averse. And it's taken me a long time to not take that personally. But it, yeah, he has no interest in show business. Every now and then I will hear Just him like s- his dad. Yeah. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah. But what about you guys? Everybody here has grown kids, right? No, yeah. little ones. 
No. Uh, how old are you, John? John Jenny in Ireland. Seven and five. Oh, that's tremendous. Boy it's and girl, two boys, two girls? No, two boys, it's the greatest. They couldn't yeah, have good. less respect for me, and I couldn't be happier with the situation. Yeah. Good. Yeah, well, that, that will continue. And then, <laughs> and, and Jimmy, Mr. Fallon, what about you? I have two little girls, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, and uh, they're the best and just so cute. They, they know what I do, and they're kind of hearing now through school and stuff, like, oh, I know your dad, you know, you know yeah. through YouTube or something. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but girls, do we know for a fact, are, are, tend to be uh, uh, altogether a different energy than young boys at that same age? Yes. I, yeah, yes. I don't have, I'm so, I, I went out with a friend who has young, uh, young boys around the same age, maybe a little bit less, and we were all sitting there, and my girls were writing, practicing writing with their uh, pens and they're writing, drawing something, and his son was jumping into a wall. <laughs> like maybe 10, 15 times in a row. <laughs> Just practicing the old wall mount. Dave, you'll enjoy this. I have a seven-year-old son. He's my oldest. I have two boys and a girl. My seven-year-old said to me the other day, I believe I've said this on the podcast, but he said, when you die, do I get your show? Whoa! And I thought that was really nice. Whoa! And? Well, I, you What's know, it answer? certainly would have been cleaner than some of the network successions that have taken place. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was just in place. I mean, why, why don't they... That would be so nice if things worked like that. <laughs> it, it's called monarchy, Dave. That's... Yeah. <laughs> Dave, since I have you here, I want to tell you a story only to see what your reaction is to it and, and what your perspective is. Yesterday, last podcast, we were all asked answering the question how did you find out you were going to get your show and I said well, I actually don't want to tell the story I want to tell the story in case Dave's ever we just said a upcoming guest mm -hmm. comes on so I want to tell you how I found out about 1130 okay and if you don't mind I wouldn't mind knowing what your perspective is on that because I don't know if they match okay okay so I I'd never thought I would host a talk show because I was an actor and I was doing Colbert Report was, was an act. It was basically a 10-year-long sketch. And I get a call from James Babydoll Dixon, my manager, also Jimmy's manager, Jimmy Kimmel's manager, and he says, hey, Les Moonves wants to meet you. And I said, I've already met Les Moonves. What do you mean? He goes, I don't know. He wants to meet you at his apartment. So we go to his apartment on Park Avenue. This is in November of 2013. And I go in, and he immediately... Julie's there, she's very nice. We sit down, it's a lovely apartment, as one can imagine. And he, he goes in, he starts talking about uh, how he likes the show, and, he's, and they're thinking about 11.30 and what they're gonna do after you. And I said, I'm just, I need to just stop right here and say, that's lovely that you would wanna talk to me. This was never in, in the plan for me, but if, if we're really gonna have this conversation, I need to know that Dave knows about that. I can't have this conversation if Dave doesn't know that these conversations are going on. And he said, Dave called me recently, and he said, I know there's going to come a day where you're going to have to start talking to people. Well, you're going to have to start talking to people. That day has arrived. And I said, okay. So he, he knows you're having these conversations. Yes. Okay, so then we had a conversation. We leave. We walk out onto the street. And I said to, to James, baby doll, I go, Does, what was that? Did I just get offered 1130? on CBS and he goes, baby, I don't know. Let me get into it. I could, that was the weirdest fucking meeting I've ever been in. I can't tell what just happened. And so he calls me, he lets it rest for a bit. He calls me a couple weeks later and he goes, yeah, yeah. But they kind of want to know if you want it before they offer it to, they, yeah, do you want it? And I said, no, I don't want it. <laughs> and he goes, 
what do you mean you don't want it? And I said, I, the last thing I thought I would do next was something harder than my last show. And he goes, it's not going to be harder. It's going to be easier. And for which he has since apologized. And, and, and I said, yeah, no, but I don't want to do it. Because my mom had just died. Hmm. And I would gotten into comedy, really, not consciously, but because of my mom. Making her laugh after my father and my brothers had died when, when it was younger. And that was clear to me. Like, oh, my God. I don't, why am I doing this if mom's not here to, like, call and say I saw the show every so often? And so I don't want to do it. And he said, this offer never comes again. You get, you want, I want you to think about this. Because I had a plan to do another show. I'd already, I already knew what it was going to be. I was going to take my character from the old show and put him in a narrative about what he did after he left the show. And he goes, you can do that anytime. You can only do this once. I said, well, I, the answer is no if I have to answer now. And he goes, what if I gave you some time? And I said, okay. And he goes, how good are you? How much time can you give me? And he goes, uh, mid-April. I said, wow, it's November and you can give me to mid-April? And he said, yeah, yeah. I said, wow, you're really good. And he goes, let's see how good I am. So nothing, I immediately, that Friday, I start, th start therapy. And I go through four months of therapy, find out what's going on a little bit under the hood, if you know what I mean. And I think it's April 11th that the, uh, the drummer for REM tweets that you have announced that you're going to be leaving the show. And I call James and I say, turn on CNN, because Wolf Blitzer's talking about something you want to hear about, because Wolf is reporting it for the show <laughs> that night. Because it's big news that you're leaving. I don't know if you knew this, Dave, but this was headline news that you were leaving. And I said, so, and he goes, yeah, they're gonna, they're probably gonna call. And I said, how long before they call? And he goes, two or three days, that's it. And you better have your answer ready. And I said, okay. So I, I call my sister, Mary, who is my eldest sister, and she's 15 years my senior. And I say, can you come up? I wanna talk to you. And she goes, is this about mom? And I said, it's kind of about mom. So she comes up and she, I come home from work that night from the Colbert Report, and she's sitting on the couch and I make her an old fashioned and I make myself an old fashioned and I said, and she goes, Kiddo, what's on your mind? And I said, well, you know, Dave has announced that he's leaving. And she burst into this huge smile. And I laughed out loud. And I said, Mary, if this show works out, if the late show ends up being a success with me at the desk, CBS should really send you flowers. Because I'm gonna do it because you smiled. Hmm. So that's how that happened. But the reason I wanna ask your perspective on it is, when it was gonna be announced, like the next day or two days later that I was gonna give him the answer and then they were gonna announce it. Maybe, I can't remember how long before you get, after you made your announcement. I got a message saying, yeah, yeah, don't, don't say anything about November. Just, we, uh, it, it just, just, it's happened this week. And I said, huh, okay, I can understand how that might be like a cleaner way to tell this story, but it made me wonder whether that, no, Dave knows this is happening was true or not. Hmm. So I'm curious, from your perspective, how did that how that go down? This, uh, first of all, it's a very nice story, and uh, touching, and uh, it's it's a lovely story, and and your sister and all, and and the process. I would have conversations with less, from time to time, about how much longer I would be at the network, but they were always general, and I I don't recall ever talking to him about please start the search, begin talking to people. That, I'm, I'm certain that that part didn't happen. Now, he probably inferred that from our general conversations. But that, that's a great story. What comes to mind is something quite similar when I was at NBC. Dave Tebbett and Henry Bushkin, who was Johnny's attorney, 
came to talk to me and we went to lunch one day and they wanted to sign me up to uh, host the Tonight Show part-time and Johnny would host it part-time. So uh, that meant that I would do Monday, Tuesday, he would do Wednesday, Thursday, Friday or some version of that and this would thereby begin the transition. And Stephen, exactly like you, I said to them, have you spoken to Johnny about this? And they said, well, no, not exactly. And I said, okay, well, I, I can't sign on here for that. The other part of my departure at CBS, the next day they had dumpsters out on the sidewalk and gutted <laughs> the theater and heaved every I, bit I of that. our program into the I dumpsters. Know. And to this day, people come up to me with theater seats. Hey, will you sign this for me? So I felt I special. I, I asked because I asked them, what's going to happen to that? And they said, it's already gone. I said, what? <laughs> That's right. The next day, yeah. they tore it all down. Yeah. I felt horrible. Yeah, adios and good night. That's right. Well, our, our set builders actually went and retrieved some of that stuff. And there are little pieces of your set <laughs> built into the frame of our set. Like little, they're inserted like in the framework as like a talisman uh -huh. of good luck. A higher honor I couldn't have hoped for. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got any more garbage, I'd love it. Anybody else have a burning question for David? Well, I just want to, if you could get that pair of pants from Stalin. <laughs> in there. Uh, yeah, if I you guys sound, can hang on one mom, second. Did your mom date Joe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she did, if it'll help the story. <laughs> Dave, I don't... I don't take you, Dave, as a souvenir guy. Did you keep anything from no. the show? No. I, I tell you, the only thing I did keep, when they built my office at the, the Ed Sullivan Theater building, it was a shower and a, a, a bathroom and stuff, and, and I was happy. I mean, you get to be my age, nothing makes you happier than a bathroom. And, and in the sink, they couldn't get one of those... Uh, so they just put a, a plug on a chain and wrapped the chain around the faucet. <laughs> so it was the combination of, oh, this is a mid-level hotel and Rikers Island. <laughs> and the, the, the only thing I took out of there was the chain with the stopper, and I was actually twirling it last night. So, yes, oh, pathetic. Wow. Of course wow. it's pathetic. No, it's not. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. You're thinking chain. Yeah, oh. that's right. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. This was a real treat. Yeah, I hope I didn't ruin the dang show for Ryan Reynolds. Now, there's a guy who's taken something right off the top of this. <laughs> oh, you know that. Yeah. I think that's that, a given. That, that. Well, let me, uh, Jimmy, thank you very much. And uh, John, thank you very much. And Jimmy, thank you very much. And Seth, thank you very much. And Stephen, thank you very much. And uh, God bless everybody. And I hope, uh, I hope you guys get back to work. Thank you for this. We appreciate it. David. Thank you, Dave. Thank Letterman, you. everybody. And we need you to read a few Mint Mobile ads. That was nice. By the way, go to Letterman's YouTube channel. Letterman is the name of the channel. And these bits, they hold up so well. It's, it's really incredible how funny. There's a bit called The Fat Guy, The Strong Guy, and The Genius that comes with a, a theme song that is just a golden, golden moment. I should stress, though, you go to that Letterman YouTube page, and it really breaks your heart in a way, how many A-plus bits that show has. Yes. As someone yeah. who has one of these shows, <laughs> you realize, yes. you know, I think, yes. we could, I think we could fill a page, but once you start scrolling down, 
I start losing confidence that you're still gonna have great bits, and it is so impressive. Can we ask him back? I want to do that hour and twenty minutes again. I know, isn't that how that you always like, feel? I, I was, I was, I almost couldn't ask anything because I only wanted to listen. But he doesn't like to hear. He doesn't. How no. great he is, you know. It, yeah. it becomes difficult because um, yeah. we love these moments and these bits that he gave us, and and you know he's he's Dave. Well, there you go. All right. That Should we really do a commercial? Fun. Sure. Let's oh, do yeah. It. You know, we started this podcast to support the people who support us, and we want to take a moment to thank our friends at Kettle One Vodka for making Strike Force 5 possible. Our shows obviously wouldn't be what they are without writers, and Kettle One Family Made Vodka wouldn't be what it is without bartenders. 10th generation distillery owner Carolus Nolet Sr. Spent nearly a decade developing Kettle One. He turned to bartenders for advice on everything from the taste to the optimal length of the bottle. The optimal length of the bottle. Yeah. That's interesting. I like the way you pronounced it too, Seth. It was like that previous show we were talking about where things are spelled out phonetically. Carolus Nolet does sound like someone who dated Stephen's mom. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not the length of the bottle. It's the motion... In the potion. In the potion. Thank you. It, it is invaluable nice. input from bartenders, if you guys agree with me here, and bartender's seal of approval that makes Kettle One so special. Anyone here? This is a serious question. Anyone here ever bartend? Yes. Of course. Yes. Really? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Where? Yeah. Uh, at J.B. Winberry's in Evanston, Illinois, and at the Chicago Sporting Club on Michigan Avenue. Ooh. Nice. John? Uh, I, I, I did a bunch of places, one of which was our local theater, because you used to get free tickets to see the comedian who was on there, one of whom was Eddie Isholt. That's a good, wow. good comedian to see. Love Eddie. Yeah, I, I, I've never bartended. I mean, I, I think I've jumped behind bars and, and wasn't really asked to bartend. But I, I've at fun. least been at three different bars where you've done that. <laughs> <laughs> and how was that received by the bar? I thought it was good. I'm going to be honest. Fun. No bartender was upset when Fallon went over the bar, but it's very funny that he thought that was a maybe thing he did. When he definitely... We at Strikeforce World Command share a commitment to craft, hospitality, and community, and that's why we're glad to have Kettle One support helping to keep the creative and hardworking people impacted by the current strike afloat. Thank you, Kettle One. Thank you, Kettle One. And as always, please drink responsibly. Kettle One Vodka, 40% alcohol volume. Kettle One USA, Aliso Viejo, California. That was one of our best yet. I mean, we actually worked in a personal anecdote, a couple of personal anecdotes, yeah. while still nailing the copy. I mean, absolutely <laughs> nailing it. Yeah. It's a bummer Letterman couldn't stay to see it. I think yeah. he would have really appreciated it. You should get him back on just to show him yeah. what we did. The, the, the smartest thing we did was make him leave before we did our ad read. Let me just It was it no coincidence that I let him go before <laughs> yes. the ad read yeah. came. I don't <laughs> want you to see this. I actually yeah. panicked when he was on in the beginning, Kimmel. I panicked. I'm like, we got an ad read. He can't be here already. <laughs> you got to tell him 1210. Well, there you go. Well, that was exciting. And Dave did indeed invite himself on the show. We wanted to invite him on the show, but he beat us to it. So that was fun. If he's listening to this right now, knowing it's how not. much he loves sincere compliments, he has thrown already his phone out of the window. This, yeah, he is, he, he's no longer listen listening this. and he needs a new phone. He loves Mint Mobile. If you know one <laughs> thing about David Letterman, he loves the concept of Mint Mobile. This is the one episode that we didn't say the name of our podcast. What? But what? I mean, 
before we get to that, I just want to say thanks to our sponsors, all of our sponsors, um, Kettle One, Mint Mobile, and what was that you were saying, Jimmy? That we're called Strike Force Five. Yeah, it would have been weird without it. Hey, everybody, before we go, just want to talk to you about uh, the merchandise you can get from our good friends at Strike Force Five. You get a T-shirt, you can get a hat, you can get a pad. All of the proceeds, of course, go to some very, very good cause that we will soon discover. What we did was very wise. We waited till almost the end of mm-hmm. the run of our podcast to produce a tremendous number of T-shirts, hats, and pens. Now we're going to be left with those if you don't buy them. So Strikeforce5FIVE.com to get your limited edition collector's item merchandise with the words Strike Force and 5. And we're going to throw in a lightning bolt with every purchase. Wow. So this is like we opened a spirit Halloween in November. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Just after Halloween, people agreed with it. They were never going to have it again. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know it was ending. We didn't know. We could have gone on for another six months. We got to ask Letterman to buy some merch. He's got a lot of money. Maybe that could be what he does for us, you know? Yeah. We should have made sure that yeah. guild negotiators were making it clear that when the strike ended... The studios had to pay for the leftover merch. Maybe we could trick the SAG after actors into thinking this these shirts are for them. Sure. Sure, why not? Go to strikeforce5.com. Yeah. Buy shit. If you were gonna buy one of the items, which would it be, John Oliver? Which which one of the three items would be your choice? I'd buy all of them in bulk to try and mitigate the losses from this entirely foreseeable catastrophe. <laughs> well, it's hurricane season still, so you could use it to Fill up with sand. There's no better the T-shirt from bursting. To be caught in a hurricane, wearing. Strike Force Five. Do the pens work now the strike is over, or is the answer to that no as well? <laughs> we have not. We have not. There were yeah, none, we have not done any QC. I'm afraid. There were non-working pens. That was an interesting <laughs> that was, movie. That's why we got them funny. so cheaply.